0: Alla fine d'autunno c'era sempre la guerra, ma noi non dovevamo andarci più. Faceva freddo a Milano alla fine d'autunno e molto presto faceva buio. Allora si accendevano le luci ed era piacevole camminare per le strade guardando dentro le vetrine. C'era molta selvaggina appesa fuori dai negozi. La neve spolverava di bianco il pelo delle volpi e il vento muoveva le loro code. I cervi pendevano rigidi pesanti e inanimati, e gli uccelli erano mossi dal vento che scompigliava le loro piume. Era una fredda fine d'autunno. Il vento scendeva dalle montagne.
1: In the fall the war was always there, but we did not go to it anymore. It was cold in the fall in Milan, and the dark came very early. Then the electric lights came on, and it was pleasant along the streets, looking in the windows. There was much game hanging outside the shops and the snow powdered in the fur of the foxes, and the wind blew their tails. The deer hung stiff and heavy and empty, and small birds blew in the wind, and the wind turned their feathers. It was a cold fall, and the wind came down from the mountains. Welcome to One True Podcast. My name is Mark Chirino, and my producer is Michael Von Cannon. In his memoir, A Moveable Feast, Ernest Hemingway wrote, all you have to do is write one true sentence. Write the truest sentence that you know. So finally, I would write one true sentence and then go on from there. In that same spirit of honesty, creativity, and curiosity, One True Podcast explores all things related to Ernest Hemingway his life, his work, and his world. Among our ambitions here at One True Podcast, we hope eventually to devote an episode to each of Hemingway's first 49 short stories as our tribute to Hemingway's mastery of the form. As we celebrate some of his masterpieces, we'll also recognize some of his inferior work. But we also hope to shine light on some of Hemingway's truly magnificent work that might still be underappreciated. Today's show falls into that third category as we explore the excellent In Another Country, a short story from Men Without Women that was also included in the posthumous compendium, The Nick Adams Stories. For our exploration into this powerful story set in post-war Milan, we turn to someone from the neighborhood, Dr. Martina Mastandrea. Martina teaches in Venice, and she has published articles and reviews on F. Scott Fitzgerald, Ernest Hemingway, and Louisa May Alcott. Her book, F. Scott Fitzgerald on silent film, will be published by Brill in September 2022. Welcome to One True Podcast, Martina Mastandrea.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Mark.
1: Thank you. Oh, it's a it's a pleasure to have you. So why don't we start out? I, as I mentioned in the in the uh, introduction, there probably are people who haven't read in another country or at least haven't read it in a long time. Can you remind us what is that story about?
0: Yes, of course. I believe that this is a magnificent uh, story. Uh, it's uh, about uh, loss. It's about uh, trauma. It's about uh, dealing with uh, with loss and trauma. Uh, And uh, I also think uh, it's about uh, the fact that boys uh, do cry. Uh, And uh, this is why I think that uh, everyone should uh, reread uh, this story. And also because uh, it really challenges the image of uh, Hemingway as the the macho writer, uh, you know, because uh, uh, when we read this story, we understand that uh, his characters actually do cry men uh, do cry boys do cry especially if uh, they have witnessed uh, war and so this is why i think it's important uh, especially in these times of war today unfortunately it's important to reread uh, uh, the story also to understand uh, what uh, boys in ukraine are are witnessing uh, right now so i i invite everyone to um, reread uh, this uh, so well, uh, the story uh, is uh, set uh, in uh, Milan. Uh, it's set uh, in uh, in autumn. Uh, it's a cold uh, autumn. That's how how the narrator describes it. Uh, the narrator is uh, unnamed. Uh, possibly, uh, it might be uh, Nick Adams, uh, and uh, uh, so it's a first uh, uh, person narrative, and uh, so everything is filtered uh, through the eyes. Uh, of the of the narrator, uh, so all of the characters in the story are described uh, uh, by the narrator, and uh, uh, it's also interesting because uh, it's uh, um, a narrative uh, um, that is uh, told uh, afterwards. This is uh, uh, what we understand uh, reading through the pages of the uh, of the story. Uh, so uh, we understand that the war is finished uh, when. Uh, Uh, the the narrator tells uh, the story and so I think there's like a a dialogue uh, between the the young narrator and the older narrator and this is what hit me uh, the most Uh, and uh, it's like uh, the the narrator is uh, is going back to to think about how he felt during the war and how he felt meeting uh, the people he met uh, in Milan
1: It's very interesting and it seems like one of the ways that the narrator processes how he feels at the time and then how he, to look back on how he felt is by sort of comparing his situation and his attitude to the people around him at that hospital. Right? So who does, who does the narrator find himself among?
0: Yes. Well, we have to say that. So almost all the story is set in a rehabilitation hospital for wounded soldiers Um, and uh, the narrator hangs out uh, with uh, boys of his age, and I think it's very important to underline this, uh, because uh, I think Hemingway wants us uh, to think about uh, uh, the toll of the war on young people, Uh, and also, so he hangs out uh, with uh, these young people, Uh, one uh, wanted uh, uh, to become a lawyer, another wanted to become a professional soldier, so we think about the dreams of these uh, young soldiers, uh, Uh, They are wounded, and uh, and then there's also another fourth uh, character that is just mentioned in the story, but I think it's really important. is a boy who has lost uh, his nose. And uh, uh, apart from this, so these are the young part of the story, the younger part, and then we have the older part. Uh, So uh, maybe the most important character in the story uh, is uh, an Italian major, uh and uh, I want to stress the fact that all of the, these characters I described are italian uh the the three boys uh, I mentioned uh, are uh, from Milan, and then uh, we have this uh, Italian major is um, also wounded and is uh, doing rehabilitation in the same hospital with the uh, narrator. and um, it's uh, Hemingway describes uh the the baby hand. And, and this is a very strong image for me. So the um, this Italian major has uh, uh, wounded his hand and it's shrunk uh, to uh, a baby hand. And uh, uh, another thing that we have to underline is that uh, uh, the major was described as the uh, the, the best uh, fencer uh, in uh, in Italy. You know, so of course the hand uh, was very useful. Uh, Apart from the the army, you know, for for a major, it's important to use their hands, but also for offensive.
1: And so we really have Hemingway not being shy about how grotesque the war war wounds are. Uh, The other, maybe the other thing that we can set just as a, a backdrop before we look at some of the details of the story is, it also seems like as this group of friends walk through the streets of Milan, the characterization of the citizens seems like they're held in uh, disdain or contempt um what What do you make of that, and is that do you think historically accurate that there would be there would be a kind of um a tension between the citizens and the soldiers
0: Yes, well, so the story is set during World War one, but uh, what i uh, didn 't say is that I mean we wrote it. Uh, uh, eight years uh, after uh, World War I uh, ended. Uh, so he writes the story in uh, 1926. Uh, and uh, I think it, it's very important to stress this because uh, uh, he uh, went back, Hemingway went back to, to Italy after World War One, and uh, he witnessed uh, uh, the, the fascists rise to power. He witnessed uh, yes. Mussolini's rise to power. And so... Uh, of course, we uh, the, the narrator doesn't know what is going to happen after the war, but the reader and uh, the writer, of course, uh, knows that. Uh, I think it was um, what uh, influenced Hemingway in writing this story was uh, uh, his trip uh, to to Milan that he did uh, with uh, his first wife Hadley uh, after the war. After they get married uh, in uh, the spring of 1922, uh, uh, they goes back to to Italy and uh, he goes. Uh, to to Genoa, and he goes back to Milan, Uh, he meets with uh, Mussolini, and after all of this uh, he writes uh, the story. Why am I saying this? Because uh, in in, uh, in another country we see the narrator and his friends going around uh, the communist quarter uh, of uh, of Milan, and uh, people say Abbasso Gliufficciari, down uh, with the officers. Uh, And this is important because uh, at... uh, Uh, We know that after World War I there were a clash between the communists and the fascists uh, in Italy. And uh, we can see the seed of this during uh, World War I, of course. And in Milan, Milan is a very important uh, city for this. And uh, so the the image of these people uh, getting angry uh, at these young boys who are wounded, uh, uh, is, uh, is very, it feels strange, of course, but we have to know what happens uh, both during the war and after uh, the war, the clash between the communists and the fascists uh, in Italy. And of course, um, Hemingway is going to explore this uh, theme uh, in Che uh, la patria, which is another story included right. in Men um, Without uh, Women, the 1927
1: collection. So you're saying that the Hemingway's perspective as a writer makes a huge difference as to how these tensions are portrayed. That's one of the themes that he really wants to get through, is that this unbelievable sacrifice that the soldiers have made are far from being disrespected. They're being condemned by the townspeople.
0: Yeah, this is something I think Hemingway explores in A Farewell to Arms as well, in the ambulance uh, drivers, uh, Bonello, Aimo uh they they hate uh, they have this hatred uh against yes. uh, officers uh, of course uh, and uh and again uh farewell to arms of course is set during World War one, but it's been written uh, uh ten years after uh writes to hemingway yeah. uh, again uh, uh he is uh, writing both uh in another country and uh, farewell to arms and catich la patria many many years later of course, yeah. after the, the, the facts, uh, the events he witnessed uh, in Italy in uh, 1918.
1: Right. So to complicate all of this, Hemingway is an American and his protagonist is an American, uh, which gives us the great title of the story, In Another Country. Uh, so maybe we can explore what that adds to the narrative in another country that we don't have an Italian protagonist we have an american protagonist who is observing all of this yes from an outside perspective what uh contribution does that make to the story
0: yeah of course well uh, the the narrator is uh, in another country both uh uh geographically uh because he comes from america but also psychologically uh and uh, i think this is a uh, this is important uh, uh because after uh He got wounded after he witnessed uh, the death uh, and horrors of war. Uh, He cannot go back to to the country he knew before, psychologically and, uh, of course, also physically, because uh, he is uh, wounded and this is uh, very important. Uh, There are so many things uh, to say about uh, the title uh, in another country uh, because, well, uh, the the title uh, comes from uh, a work by uh, Christopher Marlowe the Jew of Malta, uh, but I think probably uh, Hemingway read uh, uh, this in the, the 1915 uh, thesis Eliot's uh, A Portrait uh, of a Lady's uh, Poem. I think he, he saw that uh, in the, the first page of that uh, work, more likely, but I, I, of course I, I cannot be sure. Uh, what is also interesting is that uh, he uh, cites this sentence many, uh, in many of his works, um, so uh, he mentioned uh, the sentence in another country in uh, the sun also rises. Uh, he mentioned this. Uh, yes, right. Uh, also in a in a dangerous summer, if I, and uh, he uh, makes a pun in a aorta country, if I'm not wrong. And, uh, and also uh, he wanted to give uh, the title uh, to Now I Lay Here, the, the same title. He wanted to call in another country too. And what is even more interesting uh, in another country was a working title for a farewell to arms hmm. as well, and it was a title uh, the German translator gave to the 1930 translation of uh, in another country, and they also uh, included uh, the um, the epigram, the uh, the Christopher Marlowe one.
1: Marlowe's full quote is. That was in another country, and besides, the wench is dead. <laughs> exactly, right? Yes. Maybe this, that's why I—I I don't know if that's why Hemingway found that to be such a delicious quote. But that's what he always. No, uh, as a
0: woman, he, especially, it's not a yeah. very nice uh, quote, and uh, it takes the, of course, the reader uh, back to uh, farewell to arms and what happens uh, to Catherine at the end uh, of the of the book, and. Uh, Frederick Henry uh, is also an American in another country. And at the end of the book, of course, the woman uh, dies uh, in childbirth. Uh, And uh, yes, it's it's not a very nice uh, sentence, but Hemingway really liked
1: it. (laughs) No, Martina, but actually in in another country, uh, which is in a book called Men Without Women, uh, and it's true there are no real women characters but the death of a woman does figure prominently in in another country.
0: Yes, of course. Uh, the, at the end of the of the story, sorry for the spoiler, but uh, <laughs> uh, the the mayor's uh, wife, uh, the mayor I was talking about before, uh, dies at the end uh, of the story, and this has a major impact uh, on the mayor. Uh, and um, it has also an impact uh, um, on the narrator, of course, because the mayor had uh, just told him uh, he shouldn't uh, marry. And uh, uh, at at the beginning, uh, the the narrator doesn't understand why and and, and insists, why shouldn't I marry? And the narrator says, uh, you don't want to marry, uh, you you would uh, lose everything. And uh, at the end, he gets so angry, and uh, he gets up and goes to another room and uh, makes a phone call. And shortly afterwards, the reader understands that uh, his wife has just died. And uh, uh, this is a, there's an irony in, uh, in this because the, the mayor uh, didn't want to marry uh, the, the younger woman uh, because he was afraid that uh, he was afraid to die in battle, and so he, he didn't exactly. want her to make a widow. But in the end, uh, he is the one who, who becomes a widower. So all of the, the theories he, he had in mind about, uh, you know, marriage, uh, they, they 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 don't they don't work in real life. You know, they were just uh, just theory.
1: Yeah, and the that there would be a casualty in this story of all the veterans who went through such terrible things. Somebody who lost his nose, the person who dies is is the wife. Well. Martina, now that we talked about it, and I'm I am totally comfortable in being uh, not chronological, but I want to go back. To, I want to go to that story, uh, to that part of this story where the major and the narrator are talking. So, as you were saying, this kind of cl- this kind of closes the story, and there are two things in that conversation that I think are really crucial. And the first is the notion, this notion of the machines these machines that are part of the rehabilitation program of all of the veterans. And it seems, well, how would you say that those machines are uh, presented in the story? Are they, is it like fruitless that they're, they're even going through this, but they're doing it just to do it? What would you, what's your reaction to these machines?
0: Yeah well I think that both the major and the narrator are sarcastic uh, about the machines they call them the machines that should make the difference uh, you know but oh, we yes. we know that in the end uh, even if you can uh, cure you know uh, an arm or an, a leg uh, in the end uh, you cannot cure the, the the soul you know after you have witnessed uh, uh, death uh, and horrors uh, and uh, wounds uh, you know you will never be cured and so uh the, the there's this uh, i i really like the passage where ma- the major winks uh, at the narrator they are both uh, doing rehabilitation next side by side uh, and uh, um the, the the major is a really sarcastic character and and uh, is one of my favorite characters uh, You know, the hemingway works for this and uh, the, the doctor asks him uh, have you confidence in the machine and uh, the uh, the major said no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so uh, and uh, every but the the nice thing is that uh, uh, the the major keeps coming back, you know, every day. Uh, so yes. we 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 think why why is he going back to this? And um, recently, I read uh, an article by Andre uh and when uh, and he he talks about uh, uh, the time when he lost his legs because of an accident. Uh, and, uh, he had taught the story in another country for many, many years. Then after the accident, he rereads the story and talks with, uh, with other students about the story. And, uh, he understands that, uh, the story is not about skepticism, uh, you know, uh, uh about not believing in the machine. And the story actually can be seen as a story about healing too, because the, the, the major keeps going back to, the hospital every day then he stops uh, after his wife dies uh, for three days but in the end at the end of the story the major goes back and uh, probably this is a sign of hope he wants to uh, believe that something uh, can be improved uh, uh, even just uh, talking with uh, the other soldier with the young people you know and uh, to be a, a symbol of courage
1: back after this. This episode of One True Podcast is supported by the Hemingway Review, the scholarly journal of the Ernest Hemingway Foundation and Society. Michael and I are huge fans of the Hemingway Review. We always read it to see the latest scholarship. You can buy back issues of the Hemingway Review at HemingwaySociety.org backslash journals. This episode is brought to you by Darla Warden's Cockeyed Happy. Darla Warden, of course, the previous guest of One True Podcast, and her book, Cockeyed Happy Ernest Hemingway's Wyoming Summers with Pauline, just out in paperback. It is a book that reveals the little known tale of Hemingway's time in Wyoming from 1928 to 1939. It chronicles the highs and lows of his Wild West adventures. With second wife Pauline Pfeiffer, Cockeyed Happy is available wherever books are sold. For more information, please visit darlawarden.com. Darla W o r d e n dot com. You mentioned a symbol of courage, and I have enjoyed this story for a long time. And I just noticed something. I think on this read for today's discussion, maybe you can help me sort this out. So it says, uh, the major who had been the great fencer did not believe in bravery and spent much time while we sat in the machines correcting my grammar. But I I didn't realize that the major explicitly does not believe in bravery. Is this part of this like sardonic attitude that, that you like so much about him? Or why wouldn't he believe in bravery if he's done something which is so brave?
0: Yeah, well, in the story, there's this opposition uh, between, there's this uh, beautiful metaphor of the the hunting oaks. Uh, and as opposed to, to the major, the, the major says he doesn't uh, believe uh, in, uh, in bravery. I think he, it's just an empty, because it's an empty word. Yeah. Just like Frederick Henry talks about yeah. the empty words, uh, uh, like, uh, you know, courage. Uh, and, yeah. uh, uh, because it's just rhetoric. Those are the words that... Uh, uh, you know the propaganda uses uh, and uh, this is why the um, the photographs uh, because um, we maybe we haven't mentioned it yet yeah. but the doctors hang at the end of the the story hangs um, uh, photos that uh, portray um, soldiers uh, healed, uh, like uh, arms uh, and legs, uh, they are finally healed thanks to rehabilitation. And those uh, pictures can remind of the propaganda pictures uh, that the armies uh, were distributing uh, among the, the soldiers during World War I, yeah. uh, just to encourage soldiers to fight and seeing the horrors, you know, mutilated limbs and, and horrible, horrible photographs. Unfortunately, I saw a few. And uh, and yes, yeah, so again, as I said, the 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 word courage as uh, it's just the uh, the word empties the words.
1: And and doesn't it also connect? And I know this is really interesting because we find ourselves working our way backwards, uh, but we'll get back to the beginning. Um, the is it connects to the medals because he says, uh, for, uh the narrator gets the medals and the papers which were written in very beautiful language and full of fratellanza and abnegazione. Here I am saying this, Martina, I apologize. To, <laughs> no, no, uh, but right, so there. It's these are these lofty abstractions that the people who actually have these material wounds are just, they find frivolous, romantic.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that uh, these words, abnegazione, uh, and Frater Lanza are both included uh, in the mentions Hemingway uh, himself received for his uh, silver uh, medal. Uh, and uh, well, he received them uh, uh, three years uh, after the war, right? Uh, very, very late. Uh, but uh, of course, those were the words that were circulating among the, on, on the soldiers who received the uh, medals. And um, I think that uh, again, the, the these words are are totally empty uh by by the word they 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 don't mean uh, anything uh at all uh and also the medals i think uh hemingway uh uh is uh, uh we we don't tr- i don't think that the the, the character the narrator, uh uh believes he earned uh, his medals uh, because he is american uh, of course uh, as opposed to the three uh, young boys uh, I mentioned before. There is one boy who is very tall and pale and he uh, has been a, a longer time at the front uh, than, uh, than the others. He has witnessed uh, death and um, there's this scene where uh, the 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 boys, the Italian boys, have uh, uh, confidence uh, in uh, the narrator because they believe that he didn't earn his medals. He just right. received them because he has been wounded and because he is American. And so this is why Hemingway, I think, is a uh, um, is putting into into question the the you the know, valor, uh, the value of uh, the medals.
1: Yeah, I think one of the, to me the most powerful or one of the most powerful lines is the three with the medals were like hunting hawks. And I was not a hawk, although I might seem a hawk to those who had never hunted. And so he's basically, the narrator is admitting that in some cases he's the outsider. And then he's saying those even on the outside of where I am might be confused it's just a really wonderful way to po- way to position himself
0: There's a paradox that the boy uh, who has lost his nose he has only been uh, uh, only like an hour uh, at the front and then he, he gets wounded uh, but he doesn't get a medal for this no. so th- this is a paradox he has lost his nose but he doesn't get a medal. And then, so this is why I think the Hemingway is criticizing the the, the medals because of what, what what does it mean to get a medal?
1: Yeah, even the the medal that Hemingway himself received was the silver medal for valore, right for for valor, and that goes back. That word goes back to these words like bravery and courage that might seem really lofty and profound to to us, but to the people who are the actual hawks or the people who actually have wounds that they go to the hospital for every day it's just it's kind of irrelevant right yes uh, of
0: course and i think other, hemingway changed a lot his perspective on the war, of course because if we read the letters uh, he writes right. home from from milan while he's uh, in hospital right this is why it, it's such a powerful story because uh uh, it's like Hemingway himself is uh, having a dialogue with the younger Hemingway and he is saying to him, why were you writing those letters uh, talking about uh, abnegazione and uh, coraggio to your your parents? Uh, uh, after eight years, uh, Hemingway can look back and think uh, uh, your idea of, uh, of war was totally yeah. totally wrong.
1: So you're referring to some of the letters where he says I hope yeah you know, I looks like I'll get the medal right he's like writing it basically from the hospital but he's like, oh I think I'm going to get the silver medal you know um you know when the that famous passage Martina that you referred to from A Farewell to Arms where it kind of criticizes those lofty words it starts with I was always embarrassed and I even what you're saying makes me I wonder why he didn't say I became embarrassed Uh, You know, or now I'm looking back, I'm now embarrassed. But he says I was always embarrassed, which is really interesting. Um, Which is like I never thought that war was some honorable, honorable thing. It's just a weird way to to characterize it. One, Martina, one more thing about the the this major because I think this is such an interesting uh, thing. Uh, They're taught, you know, this is obviously these colossal things about the wound and the death of his wife but the thing that really seems to uh well he seems first of all he seems very explosive in how he is talking to the narrator about speaking italian and what what is going on there right um he's he's really challenging this american to speak italian properly right why then do you not take up the use of grammar uh and then this guy becomes like i am intimidated to actually speak italian to to an italian person and then he's saying speak grammatically exclamation point like what's the what's his interest there
0: well, uh, going back to the the letters uh, we talked about, uh, when uh, when you read it, uh, you see that uh, Hemingway is really cocky about his uh, <laughs> Italian, uh, and uh, he says uh, he's uh, even uh, hanging out uh, with a uh, polite society uh, because he's hanging out with a Belia family while he's doing his convalescence leave in Stresa, and uh, he thinks he's speaking Italian, but as an Italian I can... Uh, tell you that he's really butchering mm-hmm. Italian. So <laughs> I'm butchering English right now. <laughs> so, so yes. Well, going back to to the major and the, uh, he wants the narrator to speak uh, properly because he believes in grammar. He believes in uh, good manners. He doesn't believe in courage, but he believes uh, in uh, in grammar. Just right. to give him back sense, maybe to 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 language, especially if we go back to the idea of the propaganda and how. Uh, you know, generals uh, and uh, politicians uh, uh, manipulate language. Maybe this is why the major uh, wants the narrator to speak properly. And uh, the, the funny thing is, is uh, um, when Hemingway was uh, in Italy, uh, I think he really cared about uh, learning the, the proper language and speaking properly with, with Italians. Uh, and uh, I, I just reread a letter he sent to Marceline, to his uh, um, older sister and uh, he gets angry at her because she's studying grammar uh yeah. italian grammar in in chicago and uh, he knows that he he isn't studying grammar he's just speaking by the ear uh you know so so yeah this is uh this is uh interesting because i think he's going back uh, writing this story in 1926 he is going back to thinking well uh I was writing those letters uh, and pretending I knew Italian yes. so well, but uh, I wasn't studying grammar. I wasn't speaking well, properly. And uh, and again, well, we know how important it is to speak properly in A Farewell to Arms. Uh, you know, Frederick Henry almost gets killed because of his American that's right. accent. So.
1: It, it's really, the way you're describing it, Martina, the story in another country is very humble because he's saying, yes, I spoke Italian, I know I didn't really speak it as well as a real Italian, and yes, I went to war, but I know I didn't really go to war with the kind of danger and honor that the the other people. So um, it's it's not Hemingway puffing up his character; it's actually um, minimizing it, which is it's a really it's a really great move. And then there's another thing that emerges from this last conversation, which we might also think about that Hemingway's writing this in 1926, publishing it in 1927, but maybe also looking back. And that is the dialogue about marriage. And we understand, as you mentioned earlier, Martina, that the major is coming from a particular emotional perspective. But let me just point out one thing that Hemingway does. And then, uh, of course, you can fill in the rest. So he says... Uh, are you married? No, but I hope to be. The more of a fool you are, he said. He seemed very angry. And then a few lines later, uh, why must not a man marry? He cannot marry. He cannot marry, he said angrily. And then the next page, he spoke very angrily and bitterly and looked straight ahead while he talked. So three times in just maybe half of a page, it's angry, angrily. Uh, he's very impassioned about advising yes, our narrator about that. So
0: Yeah, if we look at this from the biographical point of view, which of course is always a bit tricky, but Hemingway was a, uh, wrote a, a cluster of story in 1926. In August 1926, he wrote A Canary for One. Then uh, he wrote uh, uh, In Another Country, and uh, they are uh, written... Uh, uh, in the in the same period, and this is really important because uh, he he uh, uh, married with uh, Hadley Richardson, his first wife had uh, uh, just uh, finished uh, they, they were separating. and so I think Hemingway was working out uh, his first separation. At the time he didn't know he was going to marry other three times, uh, but uh, the time he, he was working out uh, the loss of a wife, uh, even if uh, metaphorically. Uh, you know the loss of a of a of a child, uh, the separation from his uh, first wife uh, and uh, and child, uh, and uh, if we think about now I I, I lay here and uh, there's also another character who talks about uh, marriage. is uh, John uh, talks about marriage, but uh, uh, in a totally different way. And we totally see the different. way. If this is Nick, we don't know if the narrator in another country is Nick, but. Uh, uh, there's uh, the, the the two ways uh, in which you can react to someone who tells you to to marry or not to get married, right? Because he, uh, John... Uh,
1: the way John ends Now I Lay Me is he was going back to America and he was very certain about marriage and knew it would fix up everything. That's how the story ends, and that's how the whole volume of short stories of men without women end. and And now so, that might end with sort of an ironic thud or it might literally balance out what the major is saying in in another country. It's fascinating.
0: Yeah, but it, it seems like that many characters, uh, uh, many Hemingwayian uh, characters, uh, follow the the advice of the of the major, and uh, they they don't uh, marry, or if they try to marry, or if they try to uh, to have a love relationship like Frederick Henry, in the end, it doesn't go well. And so this is why the the major is such an important character in the Hemingway corpus.
1: Yes. So you've mentioned this a couple of times, Martina, and maybe we can address it. In my introduction, I said that this story was included in the Nick Adams stories. And we've said a million times this conversation that this is a narrator and not necessarily Nick Adams. So Philip Young, who edited the Nick Adams stories in 1972, included this apparently because he felt that it was, even though he wasn't named explicitly, it fit the biography of that fictional character, Nick Adams. Do you feel that Philip Young made the correct decision? Do you also, in your mind, think of it as a Nick Adams story?
0: Well, uh, yes. If I'm not wrong, uh, Philip uh, Young calls it uh, the um, "I" stories. So uh, he thinks that... uh, um, the narrator is uh, Nick Adams uh, speaking in first uh, person. Um, so um, I, um, I agree with, uh, with Philip Young, uh, and uh, I think that uh, now uh, he's uh, totally acknowledged that uh, the, the narrator is uh, Nick Adams, uh, especially if, the, if we see this uh, as a companion story to uh, now I lay uh, here, uh, because there, there's the uh, the narrator uh, uh, we know that his Nick, uh, even if it is just mentioned uh, maybe once, uh, you know. So I, I see these uh, two stories uh, as companion pieces. Uh, and I think also that Hemingway was trying to point the reader of uh, uh, Men Without Women towards this uh, because of the collocation of the story. So in another country is the second story in the collection. Uh, and now it lay here and the collection. So they mirror each other. So. I I believe uh, I I agree with uh, with Philip Young, but uh, of course nobody knows what uh, Hemingway really wanted. Nobody, to do
1: right? That. Nobody nobody knows if in another country is prominent. One of the reasons that it's prominent is F. Scott Fitzgerald's remark about the story when he was sent this in 1926. And so maybe we can talk a little bit about about that. What did Fitzgerald say and why?
0: Yes, well, uh, in in April 1927, uh, when the story first appeared in the Scribner's magazine, uh, uh, Fitzgerald uh, wrote uh, Hemingway that uh, in the fall the war was always there, but we did not uh, go to it anymore. It's one of the most beautiful prose sentences I've ever read. And I think he mentions prose because it almost sounds like poetry. So this is why. And again, when the stories appear in uh, uh, Men Without Women in October uh, 1927, uh, Scott Fitzgerald wrote, uh, wrote again uh, to Ernest uh, And uh, he writes again the same uh, line and he says, God, what a beautiful line. And uh, he also uh, writes uh, uh, Mencken, he writes to Mencken and uh, he asks him to read the book, to read a man without uh, women. This is very important because Mencken uh, writes a review of the book in the American Mercury in uh, May 1928. And he writes uh, that uh, the technical virtuosity that has won uh, uh, him attention. That has won uh, Hemingway attention. Uh, it was a uh, hard work and fundamental thinking that must get him on, right? So uh, I think th- this was a very powerful uh, review, and uh, this is why it's important. that uh, Fitzgerald wrote Mencken, asking him uh, to to read the book, and uh, and of course maybe to to review it. And um, apart from Fitzgerald, Mencken also Archibald MacLeish really appreciated uh, the um, the collection the men without uh, women and uh, if I can quote uh, articleald sure. uh, MacLeish uh, writes uh, ten things said for every word written, full of yeah. sounds like a coiled shell, overtones like the bells at Chartres all that stuff you can't describe, but only do, and only you can do it so this is a letter that uh, MacLeish uh, writes uh, to Hemingway, and I think this is exactly what uh, we witness as reader of the in another country, because uh, the narrator seems to choose every word he says, writer. So uh, this is uh, why the story is uh, so important uh, uh, in uh, in the collection, and also because, of course. Uh, yes, we have a a, um, a man who who is without a woman, right? Yes, right, uh, right. Such an emblematic story inside uh, the the collection.
1: Well, so based on what what you just said, so Michael and I, one of our great sadnesses is, is that we would never have Fitzgerald on to ask him his one true sentence from all of Hemingway's work. But we do know through your response that this is what he would say, right? He would say the very first sentence. What is it about that sentence that Fitzgerald finds so beautiful and maybe readers uh, afterward have found so beautiful? What is it about that that you think struck Fitzgerald's uh, interest?
0: Well, uh, there are so many things to say about the first uh, paragraph uh, of uh, mm. the story. Uh, it's um, I love the rhythm of the, the paragraph, uh, the sound uh the this uh the conjunction the end and uh, and uh, repeated uh, uh i think it reminds uh, the reader of uh, of the rehabilitation of the machines because uh, the the soldiers yeah. goes every uh, they go every day to to the hospital and uh, and so this end and and gives the the rhythm uh, of the of the machine uh, uh, the boredom of the of the machine and maybe his uh, uh, non-effectiveness, yeah, uh, his uh, in a, they, their ineffectiveness. Ineff- but also, what I really like uh, is uh, the um, the description. Uh, th- there's the cold; uh, it's a yeah. cold autumn. Uh, there's a the wind coming down uh, of the mountain, and this is why I think the reader is reminded uh, of the, the the beginning of a farewell to Anne as well. We have the mountains where the war is, the cold uh, wind. Uh, so we have the cold, but we also have the warm of the lights inside the shops, where there are animals uh, hanging, and uh, these animals uh, are stiff. There is this beautiful image, uh, uh, grotesque image of the, the deer uh, that uh, uh, they are, uh, uh, and uh, I am reading from uh, the uh, Pivano translation, they are the, the cervi, the deer, are uh, rigidi, pesanti e inanimati so pesanti heavy yeah. and a uh, Hemingway writes uh, um uh, empty heavy and empty and uh, Pivano translates uh, beautifully i think with pesanti e inanimati inanimati means uh, uh, without a soul no soul uh, mm. and uh, I think it's a beautiful translation of uh, of that word
1: yeah so we have it was cold in the fall in Milan in the second sentence and then the last sentence is it was a cold fall, and the wind came down from it's amazing amazingly intricate if you also look at the last two sentences, it says uh small birds blew in the wind, and the wind turned their feathers it was a cold fall, and the wind came so the wind is blowing all throughout that first paragraph, just like it's <laughs> blowing yes. in actual in actual Milan at the time and Martina, I would also like you even for people who are struck by the first paragraph, you read through the story, and then, what, maybe a third of the way through the story or a, a quarter of the way through the story you get, we only knew then that there was always the war, but that we were not going to it anymore. And so that echoing the first sentence of the story, it's just, it's extraordinary. Yes, uh, it's one under- other in
0: our nar- uh, narrative. A- that's when we understand that uh, the the the, the action has happened many, many years before that the war has ended, but actually it, it, it didn't end. The war never ends. I think this is what we understand also from the, the first paragraph, this read, and we, we are afraid that the, the war actually never, never ends. And this is why, again, as I'm sorry if I repeat myself, but this is why this story is so current today.
1: Yes. No. And so I've just never heard war described as something that you would go to like a party or a supermarket or a movie, they we didn't go to it. What does that? Uh, what relationship does that establish between the characters and World War One?
0: Yes, well, uh, it tells us a lot about the the lost generation uh, that uh, will form after after the war. Uh, it's like they they have to go to it. Uh, uh uh that this uh, they, they are they feel like this uh it feels like they are obliged to go to, to the war and uh, and then if we think about uh you know the, the post war generation how they, they reacted uh, to to the war uh I think this is, this story makes it even more 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 impressive. And uh and, the, and another image that I that I like, maybe a bit grotesque, is in the second paragraph. And it's the image of the, the funerals uh, that uh, happens uh, outside uh, of, uh, of the hospital. Uh, there's a, uh, The hospital is also in another country because it's separated uh, from the rest of the city by the canals. And uh, uh, just uh, next to the, the bridge, there are these funeral processions that uh, uh, reminded me of uh, the Great Gatsby uh, when uh, Nick and... Uh, uh, and Gatsby sees the funeral procession, uh, and uh, this is again—it's another spoiler uh, of the of the end uh, of of the book, of course, of Gatsby's uh, uh, funeral itself. And uh, I think exactly. that uh, in another country, I mean, we was doing the same. We we see the image of the funeral processions. Uh, they are anticipating, of course, the, the funeral uh, of uh, of the major's uh, wife.
1: You know, that's such a good point. And the second paragraph to me is also striking because Hemingway spends a lot of time, you might even say disproportionate amount of time, remembering how to get to the hospital, (laughs) that there were different paths to get to the hospital and roasted chestnuts and the bridges and you're, as you're saying, like it's you have to go to you have to go to the hospital. What is what effect does that have? That we spend more time learning about how to get to the hospital than some of the other details that, as you were saying in the Archibald McLeish quote, that maybe we would have loved it if they if it were more explicit.
0: Yes, well, well, if you think about it, Hemingway uh, spent almost all of his time in Italy in a hospital, and I think he was so frustrated by this. You know, he came to Italy to witness the war. He was a journalist, uh, you know, at the time, and he wanted to witness the war to give his contribution, and then he was wounded uh, um, a few weeks after he arrived at the front, uh, and, and then he spent so many months uh, in convalescence, uh, re- uh, re- in uh, rehabilitation, he was also doing rehabilitation at Ospedale Maggiore in Milan. And so I think uh, he is describing the frustration of going back to the hospital every day and the boredom of these uh, rehabilitation machines. And this is why he knows so well the street to to the hospital because he was uh, he was doing him uh, uh, himself and uh, uh, you know uh as uh, all of the patients uh, who do rehabilitation know it's such a uh, a tiring uh thing to do every, every day and then there's this image uh of the of the warm chestnuts of the the lady outside the the hospitals like uh, the the only good uh, good memory you know uh he, he had of uh, the the lady the warm uh chestnuts the charcoal uh, you know the chestnuts uh, that are warm in the pockets uh, uh, as opposed to the the wind that comes down from the mountains uh, from uh, from the world, and so this is the first lady we we find in the yeah, story. Right. But then there are other yeah. other ladies yeah. <laughs> uh, afterwards. But uh, it struck me that uh, the the first lady he meets is the the the, the woman who sells uh, chestnuts.
1: That's a great point. And the other ladies are the patriotic ladies that you're referring to in yeah. the Kova.
0: Yes. Yes. The, the, yeah. This is, it's a very um, sarcastic uh, passage, I think, because uh, the narrator describes uh, the, the girls as a uh, patriotic. Uh, and uh, I, what he means, I think is that they are uh, prostitutes uh, and, uh, uh, we we know this uh, because he mentioned uh, uh, the the cova in Affare a to Arms as well. There's a, a dialogue between Attilio uh, Moretti and uh, Frederick Henry about the the patriotic girls of the of the cova. But also, I think it's important uh, uh, when we read Cattivice la Patria because after uh, the arrival, uh, the rise of the fascists and the Mussolini closed uh, the, the brothels. And uh, so, at the end, the uh, prostitutes had to work in restaurants, right? And uh, probably Kova at the time uh, was uh, was famous uh, uh, for this, uh, since uh, Hemingway mentioned it in A Farewell to Arms uh, and in another country um, as well. So, uh, probably, um, yes, he, he, he was famous for that. It's also interesting that the word *Cova* uh, in Italian means uh, covare. So, it's related to uh the, the 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 chick uh the chicks uh and uh, uh but uh the the name of course comes from the antonio kova who was the owner of the of the cafe oh. and it was open uh, uh 200 years ago actually but uh, it's interesting that uh the the was is, is still around is it still around the eggs well it's it's still around but uh, it got bombed during world war Two. So it, now it's in uh, Via Monte Napoleone. So it's not near uh, Teatro La Scala, like it, it was uh, when uh, when Hemingway uh, used to hang around uh, there. So now it's moved. Uh, I also read that it opened franchises uh, in Asia, around the world. Uh, and uh, But at a time, uh, and also during Risorgimento, it was a very important uh, place uh, during the Cinque Giornate di Milano. When the uh, Milanese uh, people uh, sent away the the Austrians uh, from uh, from the city in 1848, uh, the the Cova became famous uh, because they sent away foreigners from uh, from the bar. So the Cova was actually a a, um, famous place of the Risorgimento as well. But maybe uh, yes, the the clientele changed during. uh, Of course,
1: yeah. (laughs) Uh, There's one more. Uh, line in this story that I would feel really remorseful if we didn't, if we didn't get to. And that is when he says, um, uh, he had lived a very long time with death and was a little detached. We were all a little detached and there was nothing that held us together, except that we met every afternoon at the hospital. And I really just love that sequence and especially that we're detached and what does that invite you to think about that that element? Uh,
0: this is not just a story about a wounded uh, boy. It's a story about a wounded uh, generation, a generation that that is uh, detached, uh, uh, cannot but be uh, detached uh, after after the war, because the reality has lost uh, meaning, uh, life has lost meaning after after the horrors they they witness. Uh, and uh, and then also it's a uh, it's a sad passage uh, that one because uh, we um, we understand that these boys uh, uh, the only thing they share is the fact that they were in the war together and that mm-hmm. they were wounded but there's this sense of isolation like uh, they, each one of them is uh, is isolated from from each other the only thing that uh, is like a refuge for them is going to to the kova and then see uh, Nice girls uh, and reading uh, the illustrated magazines, uh, and that reminded of reminded me of the time that Hemingway asked uh, his father to send him an illustrated magazine just to, um, you know, during the war to have something something to read, and so probably uh, going to to the cova for the soldiers and then reading the illustrated magazines uh, was a, a way to evade uh, reality, the reality of uh, of the war. So. So, yeah. yes, it's, a, it's yeah. a sad passage, I
1: think. That's excellent. The Martina, maybe the the place we can end is uh, also going back to my introduction. I was saying that In Another Country seems like something. It's not one of his canonical stories that is that is most people's favorite stories. Where do you think that it should be located in the history of Hemingway's uh, engagement with the short story. What do you think about this story's placement?
0: Oh, yes. Well, that's a very good question. Um, I think uh, uh, it's not one of the most famous uh, in uh, Hemingway's uh, canons, uh, but uh, I hope that uh, the, the next generations uh, will uh, will read it again uh, with uh, with uh, new eyes. Just like uh, Hemingway looked back uh, at the years of the war and they thought he was naive. He was naive about the war he was naive about uh, speaking in a foreign language that he was uh, not. He was naive about not uh, uh, you know, learning the grammar, but just speaking by, by the ear and thinking that he was mastering uh, the language. Uh, so again, I think we, we should uh, read uh, the story almost 100 years after it's been written with, uh, with new eyes. And so I, I hope they, they, it will be more anthologized uh, in, the, in the future.
1: Martina Mastandrea, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a pleasure.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you so much for inviting me.
1: And thanks to you all for listening in. This episode is available on OneTruePod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This year, we are also reading A Farewell to Arms over on our Patreon site. So please join us for a chapter-by-chapter discussion at patreon.com slash OneTruePodcast to be part of our book club, and also support what we do. We also have a book called One True Sentence, Writers and Readers on Hemingway's Art, from Godine, which was edited by Michael von Cannon and me. Uh, In that book, we present some of our favorite One True Sentence episodes. It's a beautiful book, and we hope you'll enjoy it. This show is a production of the Hemingway Society and is supported by the English Department at the University of Evansville. As well as Florida Gulf Coast University. Join us next time as we continue exploring Hemingway, his life, his work, and his world. I'm Mark Chirino with Michael Von Cannon, and this is One True Podcast.